as Matthew comes to lead our reflections on uh, all of those passages, then uh, let's pray for him. Lord God, as we've just heard in that letter that Paul wrote, it's not about human wisdom, it's all about you. And I pray that you would speak through Matthew this morning, that your spirit would touch our lives and that we would hear you speaking to us. Amen. Well, good morning. It's fantastic to be with you. I'm afraid the spell of sunny Sundays has temporarily come to an end, um, but we're happy in here. Um, Welcome to those of you who are listening again on our podcasts. Um, It's great to be able to welcome you, and, and if you're listening at home because you can't be with us in church or Maybe we don't, we've never met and you're listening for the first time. Um, you're very welcome to be a part um, of this fellowship this morning. Well, what an exciting uh, series on vision it's turning out to be. And the feedback we're getting from the small groups already is that you're having fantastic discussions, um, which are really creative and inspiring and also affirming of the journey we've been on. And in fact, you're taking so long to have these discussions that the sessions are spilling over one into another, which is fantastic. And, and keep that going because we don't mind. We don't want to constrain you know, how God is speaking to us. We want to hear what you have to say. So if it takes two, sh- two sessions to do one study, that's absolutely fine. Keep going with it. And as Beth said, there are more groups starting up, so do see Mandy and Gary afterwards. Um, I'm sure they'd love to welcome you. You know, two weeks ago when I kicked off this um, series on vision by looking at how we are a part of the community um, that is gathered around us, that, that we're a part of, and recognizing the good news of Jesus and the cross as the answer to the brokenness we see surrounding us. And then last week, Linda explored being missional church, starting with the mustard tree and how this parable inspires us to become strong and healthy, welcoming and nurturing, healing and restorative, and something that exists not for its own benefit, but to be a blessing to others and to bring glory to God. So this week, in week three, we're looking at what a mission strategy might look like. What are its characteristics and what does it attempt to do? And in this, I'm not attempting to spell out the specifics of what the mission strategy will be, because that would kind of prejudge the whole process that we're currently going through. Instead, we're looking at at the sense of of what we can learn from Jesus and Paul, um, who we heard in this morning's readings. So let's start in Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 4, verse 23. We're told that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee. And that's a pretty significant point. And it's always important when we read Scripture not to, not to you know, sort of pass over the detail and just look at the headlines, but to notice the intricacy uh, with which the Gospel writers have told us about Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus went throughout all Galilee. Because of the size and scope of the region, uh, Jesus uh, covered vast distances. And he would have been covering them on foot or horseback. 
I know it's an obvious point, but because we're so enculturated into our contemporary world where we can catch the bus or use the park and ride or take our private vehicles or, or of course, in Cambridgeshire, cycle, uh, we kind of lose the sense of the scale of Jesus' journeys because it's so easy today to get vast distances quickly. But Jesus traveled um, this entire region, which we believe approximately contained about 300,000 people and about 200 villages on foot. And doing this, Jesus was being intentional. He was visiting specific places and specific people. There was intentionality and a plan in, uh, where Jesus went um, from uh, from place to place, teaching in synagogues, encountering people, and sharing his message with them. And perhaps there's a message for, for that in us as a church community who seek to be intentional in the way we engage with the community of Camborne around us. Who are the people that we share life with, who we pass in the streets, our neighbors who perhaps don't know Jesus yet. And there's intentionality in our plan to do this vision program and certainly what comes out of it. And when Jesus traveled around these Galilean villages and stopped in the synagogues, he did three things. Verse 23 tells us that he taught, proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, that's blank, there you are, and healed. He taught, proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and healed. So Jesus taught the believers. He discipled people who had accepted his message and wanted to grow in faith. In fact, if we go to the next chapter, we have several chapters given over um, to Jesus teaching his disciples about what it is to be a kingdom people. And, and those are the chapters of Matthew's gospel, starting in 5 and I think continuing to about Matthew 7, where we encounter the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a substantial amount of, of ethical and moral teaching, but also Jesus' kingdom um, teaching on, on what life in the kingdom looks like. And the focus of that was the disciples. Jesus took his disciples to the mountain and delivered this teaching to them. Next, he proclaimed the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, so that those who hadn't yet accepted him as Lord might hear of the transformational power of kingdom life for themselves. And Jesus has modeled um, proclamation for us, what it is to spread this message. Finally, Jesus talked, he taught, proclaimed, but always demonstrated. And so having taught the disciples and proclaimed the kingdom of God, he actually, uh, he actually revealed that through healing people of their sickness and infirmities and setting the oppressed free. There, there's a powerful revelation of the full extent of God's big love in these few um, little verses. And as a church and as a minister, I ask myself these questions, and I suppose that it's partly behind uh, the vision program. Um, I wonder what God's plan and purpose is for the next chapter of our life together. And I wonder how, how you feel we're doing in modeling Jesus' example of teaching, proclamation, and, and healing and action. Are we good at teaching and discipling, but need to work at proclamation and evangelism more? In what ways, and there are many ways in which we already do this, but in what ways are we going to continue to demonstrate God's big love for Camborne? 
The ministry of Jesus in the gospel teaches us that there is a strong threefold unity to teaching, proclamation, and action. Then notice the change of location in verse 24. Jesus moves from the villages and synagogues of Galilee to Syria, a region north of Galilee situated between Damascus and the Mediterranean Sea. This was a predominantly uh, Gentile uh, region, and it encompasses um, a vast area of land. Um, this uh, would be the site of the Decapolis, which we read about elsewhere in scriptures, the ten cities um, in this province with large Gentile populations. And this is significant because we're told that news about Jesus, or if you use um, uh, different translations, fame of Jesus was spreading throughout that whole region uh, from Galilee into Syria, from, from region to province and beyond. And we have an expression in our time, and it's pretty apt um, uh, to describe what these verses are talking about. And news or the fame of Jesus was, was basically going viral. Um, and, you know, if you imagine how, how much things take off on on Facebook or in the papers or in the media these days. And that's what was happening with Jesus' message. Despite being in specific places at specific points and without communication systems being as advanced as they are now, the message of Christ and his kingdom was spreading like wildfire over vast distances and areas of land. But the makeup of those receiving the message was also changing unlikely in the region of Syria to be dealing with people who would hear the message of Jesus in the synagogues. Jesus' message of kingdom, life, and healing is touching people that in our time we might call unchurched people. And this, friends, is why our ministry beyond these walls and how we express that ministry is so important. Because the message of Jesus doesn't lose potency. It doesn't cease to impact lives. And even in a predominantly Gentile area like, like Syria, Jesus' message was hitting home. And I use this word a lot, but it goes to the heart of my understanding of mission. And that word is authentic. What people saw in Jesus was an authentic revelation of love and transformation. They saw Jesus talk about a kingdom in which people could be healed of all sickness and set free from oppression. They heard and saw a kingdom in which justice was being built amongst all the injustice they saw around him. And they saw and heard him doing it. And when you divorce teaching and proclamation and action from each other, the cost of that divorce is authenticity. We are called to model Jesus, to be an authentic people both in word and deed. And remember the result of this unity of word and deed is that wildfire spreading of the kingdom message as more and more people hear of what God is doing in Christ. And from Matthew, we get this sense of the different places the message and demonstration of that message um, la lands. It lands in the extremes of the synagogue and Syria. 
And we have to work out what mission looks like in different places. Um, and as you have your discussions in, in your small groups, if you're involved in them, you know, identify that we are one community in Camborne, but we're made up of people from different backgrounds, different, different types of education, different types of wealth, um, different types of home ownership, um, from different countries and languages, and recognizing the uniqueness of God's creation in all these people is a part of engaging positively in spreading the message of the kingdom to them and with them. So that expression of the same message of Christ crucified and the life of the kingdom um, is applied in different ways. Paul has some really useful guidance in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, which is our second reading. You'll find it, I think, on page 1081 if you want to look it up. The passages were too big to fit on on the screen. Now, as so often, when taking passage of scripture we need to look at the context in which it's set so if you haven't already do you want to open your bibles it's page 1081 where you'll find 1 corinthians chapter 2 1081 1 corinthians chapter 2 and that's our passage for this morning, the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 2 on page 1081. But if you take your eyes back to chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25, you'll find the paradox that sets up the reading from this morning. Don't let me lose you now. So if you, if you go back with your eyes to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 to 25, you'll find the source uh, and paradox that Paul is spelling out for this morning's reading. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the unrise, the intelligent I will frustrate. I think I'm using a different translation here. No, I'll go with it. Let me just read it from the one that we all have in front of us. So many Bibles at home. I'm not trying to seem holy by saying that, by the way. That seemed very pretentious then, didn't it? <laughs> Glory. Okay. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where are the wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And again, Paul is noting the difference between perception, between the Jews um, who you'd find in a region like Galilee and, and the Greeks who you'd find in a region like, like Syria and bringing home how, uh, how, how much wisdom might differ um, from those two um, areas. 
So Paul begins addressing his Corinthian audience. He steers his listeners away from attempting to understand the message of the kingdom from the perspective of wisdom, but by preaching the cross and demonstrating its power. And the rationale for this is that wisdom and eloquence peak and trough. And we have moments where we can't think, where our mind goes blank. But the cross remains constant and its message is simple. It's life-changing, but it's simple. And I think what Paul is doing here is what's become known as the KISS principle. I'm not getting too personal now. Anyone? KISS? Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Were you being a tad personal there, Ian? No, bless you, sorry. That's what it means, yes, thank you. I'd missed out one S in my notes and I'd forgotten about the stupid bit, but there we are, thank you. Yeah, foolishness to those who pretend to be wise, eh? Verse 4 says, And my speech message, this is in chapter 2, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And this was the age when, when Greek philosophy was, was taken off. You know, it was peaking in this time, and it was gathering pace. And Paul's audience would have been aware of the various expressions of wisdom around, competing for their attention, for their view of the world. And Paul offers the Corinthians something distinctive. Not another system of philosophy to add to those they were already aware of, but the simplicity of the cross and the message of the gospel and the demonstration of God's power. Accessible and inclusive amongst a world of ideas which were above the grasp of so many. A message that could indeed be shared and was being shared, grasped and seen by all. This is the message of the kingdom. And this morning we are thinking about what a mission strategy might embody and what the characteristics of a mission strategy might be. We started in familiar territory in the villages and synagogues of Galilee, environments of faith where Jesus was able to teach his disciples about the kingdom and demonstrate it through healing many. Then the action moved on to the Gentile region of Syria and the marriage of proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating it before people's eyes and how that hit home amongst the Gentile community in that province. And I want to make one, one, one final point, um, if I may. And it's, about, um, and it's about the whole area of mission that we're exploring. And if I may put to you this, mission is messy. There, you'll remember that when you go home. Mission is messy. It's not tidy. And it's not tidy because mission is about people and lives that are becoming increasingly complex. And if we seriously want and desire as a church to continue to be a missional community, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. I've shared this quote with you before, but it's a a seasonal favorite of mine. Um, So here it is again. This is from Pope Francis. I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it has been out on the streets, rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. I do not want a church concerned with being at the center and which then ends up by being caught up in a web of obsessions and procedures. If something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it is the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength, light, and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ, 
without a community of faith to support them, without meaning and a goal in life. More than by fear of going astray, my hope is that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security, within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which make us feel safe, while at our door people are starving, and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? And it hits home the message every time. Jesus Christ is out there in the world so often and we fail to notice the signs of where he's at and what he's doing. Mission is messy, even disturbing, but Jesus was always meeting people at their point of need. And my heart is that out of this vision process, we emerge with a a mission strategy that, that takes on Paul's words, that proclaims the power of the cross to change lives, and then demonstrates that spirit and power in a way which reveals everything we know in our hearts and minds about the truth of the gospel. And we do this in a context of a world which desperately needs to see the outworking of our faith in Christ through the, through the way it impacts their lives. The results of this vision process cannot be about us generating human wisdom that won't impact lives for Jesus. The wisdom we are seeking is not generated but received from the heart of God. And so our task as we continue on this journey is to continually tune our hearts and minds to God through a life of prayer so that our ideas and visions may be formed and shaped by Christ. Amen.